studying Abraham's life. We're looking at, of course, the book of Genesis, which, you know, means beginnings. And, and it's the beginning of not just every nation, but, but the, the Jewish nation in particular. And the Jewish nation has these patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And we're looking at that first one, Abraham. And we're getting, we're getting toward the end. We have a few more weeks in Abraham's life before we move on to start to learn about Isaac, who's a great guy as well. But, but before we get out of this, we, we really need to see this, this contrast that is so interesting to me between Abraham and Lot. Because when you think about it, they're both born in the same city. They both have the same kind of, you know, character makeup. They're from the same family. I mean, you, you understand. If you're from the same family, I know a lot of us are different from our brother and sister or cousin, but, but you have some of the same similar experiences. And, and, and even more so for, for Lot, because he traveled with Abraham for 20 years. So he's much more of a son. He much more was like a grown-up, in-his-house kind of guy. And yet, their lives, even though both of them are righteous, both of them are saved, well, Oh, Lot's not saved. Listen, three times, three times in the New Testament, Peter just wants to, because he knew, he knew we'd all say that. Oh, I don't know about Lot being saved. So Peter three times, put that verse up. He says, God delivered righteous Lot. Man, God's got to be graceful. After we read tonight, to call Lot righteous. Righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelt among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Peter's pretty convinced that we're going to see Lot in heaven. And I am too, because I believe the word of God. So we're going to see Lot in heaven. But when we sit down with Lot in heaven, here's how it's going to go. He's going to say, here's what I learned. I whole life, I'm saved by the skin of my teeth. My life was blasted. I made one poor choice after another, and it affected me, my wife, my kids, my family, the city I, I lived in. And Abraham, who makes so many mistakes, we're not done with Abraham making mistakes. Next week, he's going to make the same mistake he made 25 years ago. He just keeps going down the road, kind of like you and me. Like, it's just repeating things we should have, could have overcome by now. But he just seems to be blessed by the Lord. He walks with God. He fellowships with God. And, and tonight, I really just want us to see the contrast. I want us to see the difference. Why was Abraham so blessed? He was such a sinner. He had so many issues, just like you and me. He understood he walked in the presence of the Lord. He didn't always do that successfully, but he knew God was always with him. He was one that was obedient most of the time, quick to obey when God spoke to him. He was one that was a worshiper, a genuine worshiper, a creative worshiper, one that understand what the heart was of worship and the, and, the, and, the, and the privilege of worship and the passion of worship. He got it. He, he, was, he was certainly one that believed the word of God. And we see here another heart, another side of, of God's heart in Abraham. He sees this city. God tells him he's going to destroy the city. And Abraham just doesn't go, yeah, they deserve it. He starts bargaining with God for their lives. He's interceding for these lost people. How like God Abraham is in this? How like God? And he gets God down to 10 people. By the way, just a little side note, it's why in Jerusalem, in, in, in Israel, they, they build a, a, a synagogue where there's at least 10 Jewish males. That's the criteria. If there are 10 Jewish males in a town, They'll build a synagogue like we have right next to us today. They'll have ten, there's a city of 10 Jewish men. They'll build a synagogue. And people, why 10? Because of Genesis chapter 18. Because they, they figure those 10 guys will be righteous. <laughs> and therefore, they won't lose their investment and have their synagogue be destroyed. So they're wanting to be very thrifty with their money. And so they have 10 guys, 10 guys in a town. And it comes all out of Genesis chapter 18. But that's not the main point. 
the main point is, we talked about last week on family night, if you were here, could hear me with all the kids and their sweet little voices talking while I was talking, but that's why we had a great time together. It was awesome. But, um, but remember we talked about last week that, that God gave Abraham this insight because he knew he would pass it on to the, to the next generation. But I want you to think about tonight, a little bit more mature stuff tonight. What did he want him to pass on? He wanted to tell Isaac that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. That would have been done long before Isaac was born. What was he wanting to pass on to Abraham's children, that, that lesson here on the hillside overlooking Sodom and Gomorrah? I think Peter gives us a little insight. In, in 2 Peter chapter 2, it's a kind of lengthy section, but we'll put it up there in sections. It says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those afterwards would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then, then, here's the lesson, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. What is the lesson that God wanted Abraham to pass on? I think the lesson of Sodom and Gomorrah, which we'll get to chapter 19 in just a minute, the lesson is God does judge sin. God does judge sin. There, there were not ten righteous. He didn't find them. And God judged that city. Sometimes because we are so acquainted with the love of God, and He is love, sometimes we think because God is being gracious with us, because He hasn't dealt with our sin yet, that somehow God is approving of our sin. And I want you to not be ripped off from that lie of the enemy. Just because God is being gracious with you in what you're going through right now does not mean that God approves of what you're doing right now. Because sin is and always will be sinned. But I thought God loves me. He does. He actually died for you. He's graciously waiting for you to repent. But if you won't, he will lovingly allow you to experience the consequences to get you back to him. Sin has consequences every single time. But, but, God knows how to separate the righteous from the wicked. Isn't that the lesson of Sodom and Gomorrah? Yes, sin is punished. We'll get there in just a second. God didn't find 10 righteous people, but what did he still do? He still removed Lot, his wife, and his two daughters from the city before the judgment began. He didn't find 10. He didn't spare the city, but he got four people out of the city before the judgment started. It shows you the character and the nature of God that I believe you can really pray through and think through some end times theological thoughts when you understand what's going on here in Sodom and Gomorrah. But speaking of that, oh man, we got to get to chapter 19. Here it is. It got warm again. What's going on? It gets cool and then it gets warm. Anyways, chapter 19. It's good. We're going to read about sin here, so it should be hot to remind us we don't want to go where it's hot. Here we go. Chapter 19 with 4D effects in the sanctuary right now. Now, the two angels came to Sodom. Notice God, God did not go with them. God didn't want any part of that. Came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, 
he rose to meet them and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn in to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, and then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. And he insisted strongly, so they turned in to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, look at, just, just read, listen, Verse 4 carefully. The men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter, please don't get in your mind, this was three perverts. Every man, young and old, from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men that came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. And Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind them, and said, Please, my brethren, do not act so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. Just an understanding in, in the Middle East still to this day, hospitality is such a huge thing. And if someone comes under the care of your, 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 your house, it is your job to protect them. Now, I, with everybody else in the room, agree that Lot's going way, way too far. But that's where this heart starts. Verse 9. And then they said, stand back. And they said, this one who came to stay here, he keeps acting like a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And so they pressed hard against the man Lot who came near and to break down the door. And the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great. And they became weary trying to find the door. They didn't give up. They're still trying to find the door. This is crazy. Verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, whoever you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out, spoke to the sons-in-law who were married to his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But his sons-in-law seemed he thought he was joking. And when morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, are you kidding me? The men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, and the Lord, being merciful to him, brought him outside and set him outside the city. And so it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you or stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. And Lot said, Please know, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased in mercy. You've shown me by, by saving my life, and I, I cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil overtake me. See, now the city is near enough to flee to. It's a little one. It's just a little, it's a little sinful city. It's just, it's just Sodom Jr. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? My soul shall live. You can't take care of me in the mountains, God. And he said to him, See, I found you favor concerning you, this thing, and I will not overthrow this city, for they have, for, for you have spoken. Hurley, escape there. And do not do anything until I, until I, for I, just look at this, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zor. And the sun had risen upon the earth, and the lot, lot entered Zor, and the Lord rained fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heaven. And so he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked behind and became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning and stood in the place he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and 
toward all the land of the plain, he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass, and the Lord destroyed the cities of the plain. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overflow, which he overflowed the city, which is Lot had dwelled. Verse 30, which it got better. It doesn't. Then Lot went up to Zor, with his, with dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zor. His plan didn't work out. It's strange how our plans don't work out. And he and his two daughters dwelt in the cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our dad is old, and there is no man on earth to come into us, as the custom of all earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. And so they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. He was very drunk. Verse 34, And it happened on the same day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make drink, let, let, make him drink wine again tonight, and also go in. You go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. And thus both daughters of Lot were with child by their father. And the first bore a son and called his name Moab. He's the father of the Moabites to this day. Of course, that's where the Moabites come from. And they, they'll actually get right back into the line of the lineage of Christ later through Ruth and David and anyways. But verse 38, And the younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He's the father of the people of Ammon to this day. And we'll talk much more about Moab and Ammon at a later, later time. Before we take just five or six minutes to pull this, this, this chapter apart, I uh, just think we need to speak to something that's very important uh, concerning our culture right now. Sometimes in chapter 19, sometimes chapter 19 of Genesis is used to show and to teach that this, the type of sin that we just read about, this is the type of sin that God is forbidding when he speaks against homosexuality. There are prominent Bible teachers today that will tell you and me that God never meant to condemn two men who love each other and are committed to each other. That he never meant to condemn two women that are committed to each other. What God is against is this homosexual rape that we see in Sodom and Gomorrah. And even a worse display, archaeology has discovered, that in almost all of the Canaanite cities, Sodom and Gomorrah was just two of you know, many, many Canaanite cities, not only was the activity we read about in chapter 19 normal, we read this and we think, what kind of crazy place is Sodom? It was actually very normal for group rape of visitors as you come into the town at almost all these cities in the Canaanite cities. Worse than that, though, that same type of rape was actually forced onto children as worship to their false gods. It's why by an early age, the kids are into it too. They've been so abused by the elders and the older men in the city. And then the Bible teachers will say, that is what God is against. God is against homosexual rape. He is against forcing children to be raped as worship, not two men that love each other, two women committed to each other. And we hear that, and since we know the story from Genesis 19, we think, hey, I know God's love, so maybe that's so. But please hear me, Bible students. Of course God is against homosexual rape. He is against all forms of rape. Of course God is against forcing terrible things upon children. Of course he is. In fact, that's why when he tells Joshua to kill everyone in those towns, please don't picture them as nice, sweet, loving, you know, mid-American towns where everybody's just trying to do right. Sodom and Gomorrah, everywhere in those nations. It's a way different picture, and God's character has not changed at all, and we'll get to that when we get later on into the Old Testament here. God is against all of that stuff. 
However, though, then to make the jump that every time the Bible condemns homosexuality, God is only talking about the kind of behavior we read here in chapter 19 that's not only misguided, it's inaccurate. We might not want to talk about that in our culture. We maybe feel pressure to be silent, but the Bible is really clear in the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, Leviticus 20.13, if a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Nowhere in that verse can you construct the Hebrew to say it's talking about homosexual rape or abusing children. He is speaking about a man being intimate with a man as he would be with a woman. Well, that's just the Old Testament, okay? Well, in the New Testament, Paul says this in Romans 1. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the women burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their heir, which is due. Again, just like with the Hebrew text, you cannot twist the Greek text in any way to make it be speaking here about rape or child abuse or prostitute uh, homosexual, none of that kind of stuff. It is clear what God is calling sin. Homosexuality is sin. Now that you've heard me on this, don't misunderstand me. I think churches usually make one of two mistakes when it comes to the sin of homosexuality. We either pretend like the Bible isn't clear on it. Well, Jesus never talked about it, and I'm sure those passages are really referring to something else because God's love and two people love each other. The Bible just isn't, the Bible is super clear. Super clear. So that's the first mistake sometimes we make. We say, well, the Bible's not very clear. Yes, it is. But the other mistake we make on the full other end of the spectrum is some Christians pretend like homosexuality is the only thing God has ever forbidden or the only thing God is against. That's ridiculous. God is just as offended by your pride. God is just offended by your bitterness. God is just offended if you hate homosexuals as he is with the homosexual. God is just offended by your heterosexual fornication or your heterosexual adultery as he is by homosexual sin. Sin is sin. Well, God's just offended about a lot of stuff. He's not in heaven just, I'm so uptight, I can't handle any of this. It's because he's a good father and he loves you. And here's what he knows. You will never find what you're looking for in your bitterness. You will never find what you're looking for in your hatred of others. You will never find what you're looking for in your heterosexual affair. You'll never find what you're looking for in your heterosexual fornication. And those precious people in bondage to homosexuality will never find what they're looking for either down that road. And God who loves them doesn't hate them. Loves them. Loves them. Loves them. Calls sin, sin. Just like he nails Pastor Jason all the time. Oh, I think this would be a good thing in my life. Oh, he's very clear. Oh, I just happen to have you reading this passage today. Don't go there. Why are you being so judgmental? He's not being judgmental. He loves me enough to die for me. And so he tells me the truth because he loves me. There's no hatred. There's no bitterness. There's no anger. And neither should there be from God's people to people who struggle with any type of sin. I mean, what do you think we do? People, do, do you realize like, like eight to 900 sinners show up here every weekend? Do you realize that? <laughs> eight to 900 sinners show up here every weekend. Well, I didn't know we had so many uh, people struggling with homosexuality in our church. Are you, do you think that's what I mean? 
900 sinners walk into this church. And we don't sit at the door and go, oh, you're still bitter at your father, huh? Well, get out. Get out with your bitterness. Oh, 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 are you, are you two guys walking hand in hand? I don't see a ring. Um, are, you, are, you, are you two lawfully wed? Are, are you? Because I want to see a marriage license before you come into my holy church. We don't block people at the door and say, are you struggling with pornography? Okay, good. Come on in. You are out. The part, we need your parking space. Would you please leave right now? <laughs> and nor, I hope with all of my heart, would we ever treat someone in bondage to the sin of homosexuality that way. That we, like Jesus, would love them and, as God opens the door, we also don't walk around and tell everybody, what is your sin? Let me tell you what you do wrong. But as God opens up relationships and opportunities, you speak the truth. Do you realize that's what Jesus did? He lo- and, and again, that same thing, we, we err on one side. We, we, we think he's all love. Like Jesus walked around just saying, it's okay, break every law in the Bible, I just love you. That's not what he did. He loved them and told them the truth, right? Don't we see that in the scriptures? Don't, don't we see exactly what he said to the woman caught in adultery? He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Do you see how they're both there? He goes, I don't condemn you. He wasn't holding the sign saying, stay out of my congregation. He wasn't forbidding her to hang out with him. He said, I don't condemn you. I love you. Because I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth. You're in sin. Go sin no more. That's the truth. That's the truth. People are like, oh, Jesus loved to hang out with sinners. He did. And they loved to hang out with him. So if we're the exact opposite, maybe we're not like Jesus. Maybe. They love to hang out with him. And they'd be like, well, so that means he just approved of all they did. No, it doesn't. Matthew chapter 9 says, those who are well, this is Jesus speaking, have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then, and then, and then, Pastor Pete pointed this out to me the other day. For I did not come to call righteous, call the righteous, but sinners. And if we stop right there, we go, oh, oh yeah, he, called, he, just, he doesn't want to hang out with righteous people, just sinners. Call them to repentance. He's hanging out with them at their Matthew parties, and, their, and, and he's not participating in sin. He's not condemning them. He's loving them. But he's calling them, not on the iPhone. He's calling them to repentance. As the Lord opens doors, he's able to say, hey, what you're doing is ripping you apart. And I love you, and I'm telling you the truth. And I pray as a church family, listen, eight to 900 sinners walk in here every Sunday. And my heart is we gather under God's word that no matter what your bondage is, we can learn that not only are we loved by God, but that sin needs to be repented of. And we will never experience all that God meant life to be until we let go of that sin, whatever your sin is. And that's how we better treat people that are bitter, people that are struggling with alcohol, people that are in bondage to drugs, people that are in bondage to pornography, and yes, even people in bondage to to homosexuality. Love them like Jesus and tell them the truth. That's how we be like Jesus. But to start to go back and say, oh, I don't know if the Bible actually says that. As your pastor, I've got to tell you, that is just not true. But before we say amen tonight, how does Lot get here? Raised in Abraham's tent, travels with him for 20 years, same stock. 
How do you get to a place where you're in leadership of Sodom and Gomorrah? It says, it says in verse 1, he's in the gate. When, some of you that are going with us to Israel, 56 of you, I think, going with us. Oh, yay, awesome. One of their church makes it 74 on the trip. I love it. Anyways, so, so the reality is, when we go to Israel, you'll see in some of the gates, there's rooms in the gate. Well, those rooms from the ancient were for their leaders. Leaders would live in the gates. This is telling you that Lot is in leadership of Sodom and Gomorrah. When we first saw him, he's just setting his tent like sort of near Sodom. And now he's in leadership. Now he's, now he's in leader. How does that happen? It happens because, number one, he's compromised with sin. He's compromised with sin. He's compromised. He, he, goes from, he goes from just, you know, being close to Sodom. Now he is all in it. But this is how the sin always does. Go to, go to the Psalm 1 slide. We've got to wrap it up here. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Do you see, like, the digression that sin does in our lives? We start by just kind of, you know, listening to the counsel of the ungodly. Then we start to stand in the path of sinners. Then we sit in the seat of the scornful. Why? Because sin is never satisfied. Your idol, no matter what it is, no matter what your idol is, whether it's money, whether your idol is your pride, whether your idol is you, whether your idol is sexual sin, whatever your idol is, it promises big and never delivers. Never. And it's why it's so frustrating. It's why we got to keep feeding this idol because we're never satisfied. And it always wants more, more, more. And so, and so Lot, who was attracted to Sodom because it looked like and reminded him of Egypt, now there's this slow progression where he is living in sin. Like Sarah, when God begins to convict him, you shouldn't be here, Lot. We just imagine he said, oh, Lord, you don't understand. I can't go back to Abraham. That guy has too much land. And I, our flocks, oh, dumb God, you don't know what you're saying. And you keep resisting God, resisting God, resisting God. Well, eventually his voice becomes weak and weaker and eventually you wonder where did his voice go where did his voice go you look at this you say lot what happened how do you become a leader in a city where every man comes to your house young and old like intergenerational rape going on it's disgusting and you call them brothers verse 7 you call them brothers how do you get to the point where that's okay how do you get to the point where you offer your daughters i have two daughters I would be out there ripping. I don't care. I would, I would be long gone before they ever came close to my daughters. Oh, this, how do you, oh, this is a good idea. Desensitized descent. See, here's it. You think, well, I'm just, I'm just messing around with this a little bit. It becomes easier and easier and harder and harder to repent. And pretty soon, precious ones, you're doing things you could have never imagined because sin works the same way. So instead of being like Abraham, who realized, I walk in the presence of God and I'm quick to obey, Lot was compromised by sin. Secondly, again, he, did, he wasn't quick to obey. After the angels and the men, you just, they're entrenched in sin. They're, they're not giving up, even though they're blind. They're at verse 11. But the next morning, the angels tell Lot, we, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. And it says he lingers, verse 16. He's lingering. What are you doing, Lot? What are you doing? If God came to you and said, on Friday, the San Andreas is going to go off. Epicenter Indio. It's going to go off. The big one's coming, not somewhere in San Francisco. Epicenter right here in the desert. Get out of here. How many of you Friday morning would be like, well, i got to fix a pipe. i got a leaky sink. I really got to take care of. 
you, if you have any smarts within you, you would, you would, you would be in Nebraska by Friday. It's where you'd be. You would be a long way away from here. You would suddenly be a snowbird, every one of us in the room. Whether we could afford it or not, we'd get out of here. But anyways, this guy's lingering. Why is he lingering? What has he got to pack? What has he, what has he got to get together? But just another indication of why Lot's blasted. He doesn't trust God that he needs to get out quick. He doesn't trust God to take care of him in the mountains. He doesn't trust the Lord. When the Lord starts to convict us of sin, we have a choice to be quick to repent like Abraham or to offer our excuses to make our compromises. We wonder why everything seems blasted around us. Sometimes we think, well, it's just the tough hand I was dealt. Listen, it is not your parents' fault. It is not your pastor's fault. It, it is not your job's fault. When sin blasts us, it is your fault. Stop acting like Lot. Saved, totally saved, loved, but slow to obey and blasted. One more thing. He failed to pass on his faith to his family. Why was he blasted? He was righteous. The New Testament says it three times. He was righteous. But I don't know about any of his family. He failed to pass it on. He didn't pass it on to his wife. Most Bible scholars believe she was uh, from Sodom because there's no indication he was married before he moved there. Probably just some sensual, wicked woman that pleased his flesh. No doubt Lot ignored the promptings from God when he chose her as a bride. He doubly failed because he did nothing to influence this bride to walk with God away from the way she was brought up. And she looks back longingly in the direction of the text and she turns into salt. And I don't know how this happened. Some B-movie. I'm melting. I'm salting. I don't know. When you consider the New Testament, Luke 17, apparently she turned back. Maybe she went back for her stuff and was caught in the judgment. What we do know is Josephus, a first century historian, and the rabbis of Jesus' day have all written down that in that day you could still travel to the Dead Sea area and see her body encased in salt. It's crazy. I wish they had pictures back then. Lot didn't pass on his faith to his wife. He didn't pass on his faith to his kids. In verse 12, the angels tell Lot, do you have any other family? Tell him to get out. And he goes to his sons-in-laws and who are married to his daughters. And they, they, he's been so compromised, so they think he's joking. So winking at sin in his own life, that now things are serious. He has no testimony to stand on, no credibility to demand change. And as we see in the disgusting end of this chapter, he doesn't pass on his faith to his two youngest daughters. What makes young girls behave that way? To get their father drunk. To get their father drunk. Now, now you see what they were packing, by the way, when they're leaving Sodom and Gomorrah. He's living them. Where do you get all that wine? I, I'm serious. I'm serious. I'm seriously asking you this question. Where did Lot get enough wine to get so drunk he didn't even know his daughters came in the room? Two days in a row. He took it with him from Sodom. What was he lingering doing? He was collecting his most precious belongings, his wine. Do you see how his priority is a little off here? What would make these girls get dad drunk, sleep with him? They, they think it's the only way they're going to have children. Like their father, they don't trust God for their lives. Don't forget they were raised in Sodom, where the night's activity we read about in chapter 9 was not, was, not, was not uncommon, it was usual. And yet their dad did nothing to try to impart a different culture into their hearts. And again, you know, some of us, we look at our culture and we say, well, I'm, we're not Sodom and Gomorrah yet. We're on the fast track. And I know it scares some of you young parents in the room. What hope do my kids have? They go to school. They're told that none of these sins are wrong. They're told to experiment. They're, they're, it, it's, it's accepted with their friends. What hope do my kids have? 
My kids are 14, 12, and almost 10. I have the same fears. But here's what I want to encourage you with and leave you with tonight. Don't ever underestimate the power of what you as a parent put into the heart of your child. As a parent, I'm so encouraged by the book we get to next, Exodus. Because little Mo, little Moses, he had those formative years. Oh, we'll get in the story. We'll get more detail. I'm way out of time. But he, he's had to be nursed by his own mom. His own mom gets to nurse him, even though she's put him in the river to be, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him, and his sister says, I know someone that can nurse him, and I'll pay her. <laughs> she gets paid to nurse her own baby. It's awesome. The Lord's so good. <laughs> and as she's doing this, though, no doubt she is. She is praying. She is interceding. By the time that child is two or three or four and goes back to live in Pharaoh's house, can you even imagine what was forced into his brain from that day forward? Can you imagine what it was like to be educated in the schools of Egypt? It wasn't wasn't like DCA, I'm telling you. Do you understand? Like everything, everything, all the Egyptian gods, all the pantheon, I mean, everything he was exposed to, anti-God, anti-Jew, anti-everything. And yet the education of the Egyptian world system could not undo the power of a praying parent. Because when Moses was faced with the choice to whether to continue in the riches of Egypt or to choose suffering with the people of God. He said, there's not even a choice. And he suffered with the Jewish people. Don't you ever underestimate how powerful your influence is upon your kids and grandkids. Don't you ever forget it. Satan doesn't forget it. It's why he does everything to tear apart families. Do you think he cares about marriage rates for marriage rate's sake? Do you think he cares about tearing apart marriages because he doesn't care about any of that stuff? He doesn't want you to pass on your faith to the next generation because he knows how powerful you really are. This world we live in is dark. It is dark. It is dark. It is dark. It is dark. But don't you ever forget, there is nothing in this book, there is no, there is no truth in this book that hasn't been faced in the world history up to this point that we're up against now. There's nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. Well, they never had the issues we have. <laughs> First century Rome? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? The gospel has faced every issue that we're facing right now victoriously and powerfully. The hope is not in government. The hope is not in protesting. The hope is not in hating. The hope is in the power of the word of God and men and women who fearlessly with love take it into their culture. There is nothing this book has not faced. There is nothing our God cannot overcome. Can you imagine the radical witnesses for Jesus Christ? Some of those men and women will become 
when God gets a hold of their hearts. Those are those people that are willing to be ostracized by 97% of Americans as far as what they own believe. Imagine what they will be like on fire for Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ isn't afraid of culture. It's not afraid of the world we live in. It is waiting for men and women to fearlessly take it in and tell the truth, not condemningly, and tell the truth, not with a hatred in your heart, but tell the truth with tears in your eyes because God has saved you who is also a sinner. 